So we're in Luke chapter 22, verses 47 through 40, uh, 53. And of course, we're not going to get through all of that. But I'm going to talk about something that's not very pleasant, but I think is necessary. I think it's needful to hear. Um, in this passage here in Luke uh, 22, 47 through 53, we're reading about those who have come to arrest Jesus. Uh, Judas leading them, the betrayer, the the traitor, he's, he's leading these uh, servants of the high priest. They led him to the very place where Jesus is accustomed to go to, to pray and have some quiet time with his men. And, uh, of course, it's at this place that Judas comes and, and uh, betrays Jesus. And uh, Jesus is arrested. But if you look at this passage here between 47 and 53, uh, you see three scenarios, three little scenes play out. And as I was, as I was looking through this, uh, within these scenarios, there's also three questions asked. There's three questions asked. And I thought that was kind of interesting, and that's, that's kind of what I'm going to key off of. Are these uh, little these three questions in these three scenarios? And uh, yes, we're getting ready to look at the betrayal of Judas, and uh, not a pleasant topic. And and what I'm getting ready to share is not a very pleasant thing, uh, but I think it's a necessary thing to be heard. So let's look here in verses 47 and 48, and then we'll get into it. It says. And while he yet spake, of course, that's Jesus speaking to his men there. He says, Behold a multitude, and he that was called Judas, one of the twelve, went before them and drew near unto Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said unto him, Judas, betrayest thou the Son of Man with a kiss? Ah, the kiss of betrayal, the kiss of treachery. That's a, that's a topic that the Bible talks about, uh, treachery. Uh, generally, a kiss is to be what? An act of friendship, right? An act of peace. Uh, but the wicked, they often use um, kisses um, to put their enemy off guard, right? To put their enemy off guard and, and tr- to hide their true motive, to hide their true motive. Turn to Second Samuel chapter 20. Just as one example of a of an individual who feigned friendliness. In Second Samuel chapter twenty, um, let's see here, starting in verse eight. This is with uh, Joab and a man by the name of Amasa, and Amasa was Absalom's general, and of course Absalom was the fellow who had rebelled against his father David. And here in Second Samuel twenty and verse eight it says, uh, "When they were at the great stone which is in Gibeon, Amasa went before them, and Joab's garment that he had put on was girded unto him, and upon it a girdle with a sword fastened upon his loins and the sheath thereof." And as he went forth, it fell out, and Joab said to Amasa, now here it is, art thou in health, my brother? And Joab took Amasa by the beard with the right hand to kiss him. 
But Amasa took no heed to the sword that was in Joab's hand, so he smote him therewith in the fifth rib and shed out his bowels to the ground, yuck, and struck him not again, and he died. So here we see that the cold-blooded, ruthless act of Joab, as he feigns peace and friendliness, he has friendly words and a friendly gesture toward Amasa, but at the same time, he shoves his sword into Amasa's side and kills him. The kisses of an enemy. You know, the book of Proverbs, Solomon, he gives warning about um, those who feign friendship. In fact, in Proverbs 27, 6, uh, Solomon wrote, um, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. The kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Uh, in, uh, I've heard it put a different way. I've heard it said, uh, don't fear the enemy attacks you, uh, but rather fear the friend that hugs you. You know, so it's out there. It happens. Uh, it, there are uh, folks who feign friendliness, but in reality, they're your enemy. Um, when I was studying uh, the book of Daniel and Daniel chapter 11, verse 27, Daniel is giving a, a prophetic revelation of two men who sit together at, at a table speaking peace, and uh, but at the same time, uh, they were planning treachery. And that played out uh, with Antiochus Epiphanes uh, with his nephew Ptolemy. As they sat at the table uh, hashing out a peace deal, uh, they both were planning <laughs> on breaking the peace deal and trying to get advantage over each other. So in politics, it even happens in politics. Surprise, surprise, right? Surprise, surprise. Um, of course, this feigning of peace, you know, uh, and safety, uh, who is it that we know of that's going to pull that ploy on the nation of Israel? Yeah, the Antichrist, right? He's going to fix up some sort of agreement, some sort of accord, only to break it three and a half years into the tribulation period. So, you know, it's just, it's just, it, it's just one of those things. Uh, one man said that uh, a politician's uh, covenant is like Judas's kiss with lipstick, with, with lipstick on. And that's, I guess that's kind of a, the point, you know. Uh, the kiss of Judas is probably the most despicable, despicable act of treachery that we can think of. I went online and um, I typed in uh, the top ten traitors of history. And guess who was on the list or at times at the top of the list? Judas. Almost on every list, Judas Iscariot was, very, was either number one or very close to the top. Very close to the top. I mean, you mentioned, when I mentioned the name Benedict Arnold, if you know anything about American history, which unfortunately isn't popular anymore, but when you think of Benedict Arnold, what do you think of? Yeah, traitor, traitor. Uh, the man's name is associated with being a traitor. Uh, Benjamin Franklin, when he um, was talking about Benedict Arnold and what he did, he said, Judas sold only one man, Arnold, three million. So you see what Benjamin Franklin did. He, he uh, compared Benedict Arnold to uh, Judas. 
Judas Iscariot. I guess Judas Iscariot is the um, poster child of being a of being a traitor. Even Will, even William Shakespeare, even William Shakespeare, he says he says to say the truth. So Judas, so Judas kissed his master and cried all hail when he meant all all harm. So Judas Iscariot's got quite a name for himself, uh, uh, committing the most horrendous act of betrayal, I believe, that has ever been ever been committed. Now, this betrayal of Jesus, it was already foretold in the Bible. And I'm sure you guys have heard this before in Psalms 95, 12 through 14. For it was not an enemy that reproached me, then I could have borne it. Neither was it he that hated me that did magnify himself against me. Then I would have hid myself from him. But it was you, thou, a man mine equal, my guide and mine acquaintance. We took sweet counsel together and walked into the house of God in company. And if you stop and think about it, that's exactly the way it was with Judas. I mean, he was... He was one of the chosen 12. He went with the Lord everywhere. They even went to temple together. You know, he feigned this friendship. Psalms 9520, uh, Psalms 5520, it says, He hath put forth his hands against such as be at peace with him. He hath broken his covenant. The words of his mouth were smoother than butter, but war was in his heart. His words were softer than oil, yet they were drawn swords smooth words are only the sheath of the knife it always makes me nervous when somebody comes up you know with very smooth flowery words immediately you think okay what's up (laughs) what do you want that type of thing that type of thing sometimes those smooth words are used to cover up one's true motive Um, Matthew 26 48 we read, um, Now he that betrayed him gave them a sign, saying, Whomsoever I shall kiss, that same as he, hold him fast. And forthwith he came to Jesus and said, Hail, Master, and kissed him. And Jesus said unto him, Friend, wherefore art thou come? Then came they and laid hands on Jesus and took him. Judas refers to Jesus as his master when he comes to him. But what did Jesus call Judas? Friend. That's amazing grace right there. That's amazing grace right there. Friend. Jesus says here in Luke twenty two forty eight. he says, Judas, betrayest thou the son of man with a kiss? You know, it's interesting. I got out my concordance and this is the only place in the Bible that you're going to find this particular word betrayest both in the English in the English right here in Luke's gospel and it simply means just like what's going on here it means to treacherously deliver over another to their enemies that's exactly what Judas did he betrayed Jesus into the hands of Jesus's enemies and uh, this deal that Judas had made with the high priest, you remember the price they paid him? 30 pieces of silver. 30 pieces of silver. 
That's just a little over a month's wage for a common laborer in that time. So for a month's wage, uh, Judas agreed to betray Jesus. Something else that's kind of interesting about 30 pieces of silver. In Acts 21-32, it's the price of a slave. It's the price of a slave. In Exodus 21-32, it says, If the ox shall push a manservant or a maidservant, which is a slave, he shall give unto their master 30 shekels of silver, and the ox shall be stoned. So here Judas comes to Jesus calling him master, when in fact he sold him to his enemies for essentially the same price of a, of a slave. You know, Jesus' enemies had such contempt for Jesus that they paid out the price of a slave. Paid out the price of a slave. That's the kind of contempt that they had for Jesus. Now here's the hard thing. (laughs) You know, a lot of folks confess Jesus as master, don't they? Oh, he's a great teacher of morality. He's a great example to follow. You know, he's, you know, he's, he's a loving, a loving man that we could learn a lot from. But yet they deny him as their savior. Or they disobey him as their Lord. And in effect, they hold, they hold God in contempt. They hold God in contempt. Oh, they'll say nice things about him. But when it comes to obeying him, when it comes to believing on him as their Lord and Savior, it's, that's a different story. And they hold him in contempt. They hold him in contempt. So it's here with Judas coming to Jesus to betray him that uh, he, you know, he's betraying him into the hands of the high priest servants that we read the first of these three questions that I mentioned. And of course the question was Jesus was asking of Judas. He says, Betrayest thou the Son of Man with a kiss? Jesus asked the question, but he never got an answer, did he? Judas never, never gave Jesus an answer. Now, I personally believe that when Jesus asked this question of Judas, I think this was the final appeal. The final appeal that Jesus made towards Judas's conscience. The final appeal to Judas to come to his senses and realize what it is he's doing. God's not willing that any man should perish. Even a Judas. I don't know if you've ever found yourself in such a place, but it's heartbreaking when you speak with someone and you know where they're headed and you plea with them to turn from the path that they've chosen and you beg with them, don't go that way. You'll be sorry if you do. This is what's going to happen if you do. I'm telling you, don't do this thing. And then they refuse to listen to you, and they go ahead and do it. 
And then the very thing that you tried to warn them about, the very thing that you tried to save them from, happens. That's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking. And I think that's the situation here with Judas. You see, Jesus referred to himself as the Son of Man. He says, Betrayest thou the Son of Man with a kiss? Judas knew what that meant. The Son of Man is a reference to the Messiah. Daniel chapter 7. That's a reference to the Messiah. And I think what Jesus is saying here, Judas, do you realize who it is you're betraying? You're not betraying just some ordinary man, Judas. You're betraying the Messiah, the Christ. That's what you're doing. That should give anybody pause (laughs) to consider. But here's the issue. And it happens all the time. You know, Satan was to sift Peter as wheat. But Judas, on the other hand, he had completely surrendered over to Satan. He had completely surrendered himself to this darkness and in this act of betrayal Judas truly behaved like an antichrist like an antichrist he was against Christ he sold Christ out he betrayed Christ Judas behaved like an antichrist In 1 John 2.18, it says, Little children, it is the last time. And as you have heard that Antichrist shall come, even now are there many Antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time. They went out from us, but they were not of us. If they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. You see, Judas Iscariot was numbered among the chosen twelve. He was a chosen one, but he was not like the other eleven. Not like the other eleven. With Peter, there was conversion. With Judas and his betrayal, there's nothing but condemnation before him. He was behaving as an antichrist. And John tells us that's the sign of the end time, of the last time. And that is the spirit of the age that we dwell in today. There is an antichrist spirit today. See, Judas couldn't answer Jesus' question because... He had for a long time been in this attitude. Even with the privilege of being in the company of Jesus and within the intimate circle of the other 11. For a long time, he had surrendered to this attitude and had succumbed to the influence 
of the enemy to, do, to dominate his, his thinking. You know, Judas was entrusted with the funds, right? He was made the, the treasurer, if you will. But what did he do with that trust? Yeah, he betrayed it. He stole. He was a thief. John 12, 6 tells us he was a thief. Instead of a trustworthy treasurer, he was given this responsibility. He was no better than a common opportunistic thief. That had been going on for quite a long time. And he just simply was clever enough to cover it up from the others. But do you think he fooled the Lord? He may have been able to fool the others, but he didn't fool the Lord. And here's the thing. In John 3.19 it says, And this is the condemnation that light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh the night to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. It's interesting to me that uh, Judas made the deal with the Pharisees after Judas was rebuked by Jesus in John chapter 12 when Judas complained about Mary wasting that ointment and that it could have been sold. And he didn't care about the poor. That was just money that was slipping through his fingers. And Jesus rebuked him for that. And it was after this rebuke that uh, he went to the Pharisees and said, Hey, what will you give me if I betray him? You see, instead of this rebuke bringing about repentance in his heart, what did it do? It hardened his heart. You ever come across someone like that? The more you plead... It seems the harder they get, the harder they get. I mean, here was a man who was exposed to the light of the world, having ample opportunity to learn from him and of him, know him and love him, yet his choice was to remain in darkness. To remain in darkness. Even now as he kisses Jesus... Even as Jesus gives him one more final attempt, his choice is to stay in darkness. That's an enigma to me. Now what am I what I'm about to say, don't misunderstand me. First of all, what I am about to say is it doesn't apply to born-again believers in Jesus Christ. All right? You're born in the Spirit. You know, once saved, always saved. I believe that. You know, irregardless how a believer may live their life, if they're truly born again of the Spirit of God, they're guaranteed everlasting life in heaven. I believe the Bible teaches that. So I'm not talking about the children of light. I'm talking about the children of darkness, what I'm getting ready to say. And also, um, I'm not like some of my brothers who feel as though they have the ability to judge 
those who are hard and are lost forever and those who are not. I, at one time, I did, <laughs> but that was because I was conceited. But I don't believe, I, I don't have that ability to say Sherry's saved and Jason is not. I, Paul says here in 1 Corinthians 4, 5, Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord come, who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the hearts, and then shall every man have praise of God. That's God's job. <laughs> He'll sort it all out. I mean, I've known some very hard individuals who have, like Peter, been converted and have become great servants of God. Uh, the, the Apostle Paul is a good example of that, right? So I, I, I'm careful about that kind of stuff. What I'm about to say, and it may not apply, and I hope it doesn't apply to anybody in this room, but what I am about to say is to those who hear the gospel time and time and time and time and time and time again and choose to believe it, shun it, refuse it. Men and women love darkness rather than light. And tragically, it is possible that some women and some men fall so deeply in love with that darkness that that light is no longer a source of hope or salvation to them, but rather it is a source of condemnation and judgment and even an object of hatred. I've met folks like that. I've met folks like that. And to those who hear the gospel and resist it, be warned. Because if you consistently reject it and consistently harden your heart against it, and you refuse the offer of forgiveness and you persist in rejecting that light... God may give you over to that love of darkness. Now, I don't know what that point is. But it's possible. Is that a scary thought? It's meant to be. We're talking serious, serious stuff here. Turn to Proverbs chapter 1. Proverbs chapter 1, the writer of Proverbs personifies wisdom as a woman. And I'll make no comment on that. (laughs) I've heard preachers try to make jokes out of that. I'm not going to do that. I'm I'm married to a very wise, wise woman. But anyway, he personifies wisdom as a woman. A woman who is calling out uh, to fools and simple-minded, you know, folks. Listen to what she says here in verse 22. How long, ye simple ones, will you love simplicity? 
And the scorners delight in their scorner. And fools hate knowledge. Turn you at my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit unto you. I will make known my words unto you. Because I have called and you refused, I have stretched out my hand and no man regarded. But you have said it not all my counsel and with none of my reproof. Here's the consequence. I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your fear cometh. When your fear cometh as desolation and your destruction cometh as a whirlwind. When distress and anguish cometh upon you, then shall they call upon me, but I will not answer. They shall seek me early, but they shall not find me. For they, for that they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would none of my counsel. They despised all my reproof. Therefore shall they eat of the fruit of their own way and be filled with their own devices. For the turning of the way, the turning away of the simple shall slay them and the prosperity of fools shall destroy them. Folks, that is spiritual reality. That's not being mean. That's not being unloving. It's being loving. That is spiritual reality right there. She's trying to warn them. She's pleading with them. Don't go that way. Don't go that way. But those who continually refuse place their own souls in danger. It's not a question of God chooses some and not choose others. It's what you choose to do. It's what others choose to do. And if you continue on in this path, then you're going to run into what the Apostle Paul says. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of, a living God, of the living God. Hebrews 10.31 you shun the God of grace. There's nothing left but for you to face the living God of wrath. I remember a comedian. I think I know who it is, but I'm not really sure. I'm not going to say the name. But I remember a comedian on a talk show one time. And he was, he was notorious for this. He was famous for, you know, making jokes about Christians and making jokes about God. And he didn't believe there was a God. And, you know, he made a, he made a living off of this. And in this talk show, he says, yeah, he says, if there is a God, when I die and come face to face with him, I'm going to give him a piece of my mind. He won't know what hit him. Mm-hmm. Well, he did die. I wonder how it went. I wonder how it went. You see, for the born-again child of God, um, God will chastise us. He'll correct us as sons and daughters. Uh, He does that to get us back on the path of obedience and blessing. And yes, if you're obstinate... If you want to behave like a spoiled brat, he'll even go as far as, okay, come home. Come home. 
1 Corinthians 5, 5, to deliver such a one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. That troublesome and disobedient flesh (laughs) will perish, but our soul will be safe. We've got God's promise on that. But for the lost, for the lost who don't heed God's plea to receive forgiveness through Christ, like one old-time gospel preacher said, then God needs be their judge. He's left with no other recourse. That's a scary thought. That's the fear of the Lord. And what do they say the fear of the Lord is the beginning of? Wisdom. And what does the fool say in his heart? There is no God. Or, he don't care. He don't care. Yeah, he do. Nahum 1.3 says, The Lord is slow to anger and great in power and will not at all acquit the wicked. And then, of course, the one that we know of, 2 Peter 3, 9, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us, word, not willing that any man should perish, but that all should come to repentance. What we forget is what follows that verse. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Yeah, he is long-suffering. But there is a day of judgment. The last verse in Proverbs 1, that passage that I read to you, says, But whoso hearkeneth, that is, consents to, or yields to, or is obedient to the summons to believe and repent, but whoso hearkeneth unto me shall dwell safely and shall be quiet from fear of evil. And that evil is referring to God's judgment. God will forgive sin repented of. And you know what the greatest sin is? The, the chief sin of this dispensation is? Anybody want to guess at that? Unbelief. That's the sin of this dispensation is unbelief. John 3.18, He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. See, it's a matter of faith. Right? We are saved by grace through, what is it, Vicky? Faith. Yeah. God will forgive sin repented of but will not condone sin persisted in Romans 14:23 for whatsoever is not of faith is sin 
You realize that the sin of the lost is to spurn the love of God? You're sinning against the love of God. You're sinning against the grace of God. You're sinning against a God who sent his son to be your substitute on the cross of Calvary and go through that horrific death on your behalf because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That's what you're sinning against. Now, when I say you, of course, you understand I'm being general. I'm not, I'm not accusing anybody in here of that. But I'm talking about the lost. That's, that's who this is directed to, is the lost. It's like that passage in Romans 8:32. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? It's kind of like Adam in the garden. God gave him all this to enjoy. Right? But he prefers... Something he's not allowed to have. And so many of the lost would prefer to have the apple of their own good works versus all of that grace that God provides in Christ Jesus. Well, that apple has a worm in it. Somebody will say, well, Judas repented. Matthew 27, 3, Then Judas, which had betrayed him, when he saw that he was condemned, it says here, repented himself and brought again the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders. Repented himself. You know what that means? That means he regretted what he did. He realized that he betrayed an innocent man. And he regretted his part in the matter. But here's the problem. You see, Judas didn't go to the cross where Jesus was hanging. And like the thief who was hanging next to Jesus, Judas didn't go to the cross and look up at Jesus and say, Lord, forgive me, I'm so sorry for what I did. He went to a different tree, didn't he? Instead of going to him, like Galatians talks about, Christ who has redeemed us from the curse of the law being made a curse for us, Judas hung himself on another tree. And he bore his curse alone. And cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. He repented and went to the wrong tree. He went to the wrong tree. In Acts one eighteen, it says, Now this man purchased the field with the reward of iniquity, and falling headlong, he burst asunder in the midst, and all his bowels gushed out. You see, there's a reason why the branch of that tree didn't hold the weight of Judas. Did you ever wonder that? Why that branch broke? God's true to his word, folks. 
Deuteronomy 21.23 says, His body shall not remain all night upon the tree, but thou shalt in any wise bury him in that day, for he that is hanged is a curse of God, that thy land be not defiled, which the Lord thy God giveth thee for an inheritance. God is true to his word. That branch broke in fulfillment of what God said here in Deuteronomy. So the land wouldn't be defiled. It's no wonder that uh, Jesus said in Mark 14 about Judas, it would have been better if he had never been born. Judas was a man who had rejected the light. He betrayed the Son of Man. He abandoned God for 30 pieces of silver. And he bore his reproach upon himself and was made a curse. And his name is a curse to this day. He went to the wrong tree. He went to the wrong tree. He refused the light and embraced the darkness. And now in darkness he dwells forever. And uh, for his everlasting perdition, uh, Judas only has himself to blame. And this will be the lament of all the lost who have been abundantly exposed to the light, that have constantly, consistently refused God's offer of forgiveness, have rejected that light, holding in contempt God's love for them, proven by what Christ went through on the cross. And it will be their fault. It's interesting that no more is said of Judas in the Gospel of Luke. Because there's no more to be said, is there? That's tragic. It really is tragic. And in that awful day when the lost stand before the righteous judge, there won't be anything said then either. Romans 3.19, Now we know that what things soever the law saith, saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. So that comedian who was going to give God a peace of mind? Nope. Nope. He's not going to say a word. Not a word. Because there's nothing he can say. Because at that time, the awful realization of what he has scorned will be a horrible reality. So again, my word to the lost is this. If you hear the gospel of God's grace, don't refuse it. Don't scorn it. Don't shun it. Don't put off what you must do. Proverbs 12:15 says, "The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but he that hearkeneth on the counsel is wise." You know, there's no greater fool than one who believes his own lies. 
Don't ignore the pleading. Don't ignore the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Don't ignore the danger that your soul is in. I, 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 I appreciate Brian who gives an invitation every Sunday, even, even, and he'll admit it. You know, this message is not meant, you know, it's, it's, it's more of, it's not a salvation message. It's more, you know, but even still, he, he's compelled to give folks the opportunity. My question to you is this. Where are you at in your heads when Brian has given folks that opportunity? Are you thinking about lunch? Are you drifting off to sleep? (laughs) Guilty. Or are you asking God to touch their hearts so that they will receive the gifts? New year, guys. New year. Need to make some changes. I do. I need to make some changes. And those who, and again, nobody in this room, I'm, I hope and pray, I'm pretty sure. But if anybody happens to click on and listen to this message, and if you've heard the message and you hear the gospel and you keep putting it off, don't. Stop hoodwinking yourself and thinking you still have time. I remember I witnessed to a guy when I worked for TWA. I witnessed to that man for a solid month. Almost every day witnessed to that man. And he kept saying, oh, I've still got time. I've still got time. I've still got time. One day I come into work. He's not there. The next day I come into work and he's not there and I ask, where's so-and-so? Oh, didn't you hear? Over the weekend he was killed in a car accident. You don't have time. Just like the Bible says, now is the day of salvation. If you're hearing the message of salvation, now is the time to make that decision. Um, there was a science fiction movie sometime back entitled Alien. You remember that movie when it first came out? <laughs> I went to the theater to see that movie with my wife. Were we dating or were we, or were we married? We are married. <laughs> I don't. I hate scary movies. And she'll testify to this. I screamed like a little girl through that movie. I hate scary movies. Hate them. But that movie had a byline. Can you remember the byline? Yeah, something like that. They can't hear you screaming in space or something like that. In space, they can't hear you scream. Folks, those of you who are refusing the gospel of Jesus Christ and you die... Here's a very sober, sober, sober thing. You will not be heard crying out for mercy in hell. Because it'll be too late. It'll be too late. Don't be like a Judas. And kiss off your Savior. You realize that's where it came from? Kiss off.
Don't kiss off your Savior when he's calling to you as a friend wanting to save you. Don't do that. Lord God in heaven, sometimes your word um, is, is, is a joy and sometimes your word is very, very sober. And Lord God, I pray that uh, if anybody happens to hear this and they have yet to make that decision, my prayer to you, I ask of you, Lord, is that you would impress upon their hearts the seriousness of their refusal and the scorning of your love and the contempt that they hold for Jesus Christ who calls out to them even now. I pray, Lord God, in Jesus' name, amen.